Thank you so much for joining us today. We're always encouraged to know God is working through new beginnings to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please let us know. Send us an email at mystory@newbeginningsnj.org. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. I'm really excited to start this series this morning. It's going to be two parts this weekend, next weekend. And let me just throw this out at you before we get started. Whenever the Word of God is preached, it is preached, it is taught for one purpose, and that is to affect change. It's to bring us from a place where we have not yet been to a place of where we need to be. And I pray in the name of Jesus that this particular series affects our lives in such a way that it changes the way we think, changes the way we speak, changes the way we conduct ourselves, because that's what the Word is supposed to do. Amen? The title of the series is Boundless, talking about the relentless love of God, just like we just sang about, how awesome that is. I want to make this statement to start off this series. I want you to hold on to this. If we were limited to one word to describe God's love, I don't think I could think of a better word than this word, boundless. Boundless is defined as without boundaries, vast, infinite, limitless, unlimited, unbounded, untold, immeasurable, and abundant. That is a perfect description of who God is. There's nothing that's impossible for him. I want you to consider the love of God as he's demonstrated it to you in your life, as he has expressed it to you through different periods of your life and different seasons. I want to take you back, and I'm going to challenge you to take an honest look back into your life. And I guarantee you, as I have done in my life, that you're going to see a God who literally stepped over every sin in your life to get you your heart. You're going to see a God who, if you would be honest with yourself, you would remember some of the most embarrassing scenarios that you involved yourself in. And what happened? God showed up right in the midst of those things. I don't know about you, but it's like, no, not now. Not now. Not, not while I'm conducting myself like this. Not while I just said that. Not while I just did that. No, you know, why don't you come back tomorrow, God? Anybody ever felt that way? <laughs> but you know what? No matter how many you are not welcome signs that we have put up in our lives. None of them has ever stopped him from capturing our attention. And that's what I want to focus in on today. The effect that that should have on our lives and the effect that it should have on our relationships with others. There is nothing that has ever happened in your life that God's not aware of. There's nothing that you're going to do. There's nothing that you're going to think. There's nothing that you're going to say. There's no place that you're going that God's not aware of it already. And yet, he still loves us. David wrote this in Psalm 139. I want to read to you from the Passion Translation. You are so intimately aware of me, Lord. You read my heart like an open book. You know all the words I'm about to speak before I even start a sentence. You know every step I will take before my journey even begins. You've gone into my future to prepare the way. And in kindness, oh, I love this part. You follow behind me to spare me from the harm of my past. Oh, Jesus, he wrote that one just for me. How many are thankful that he protects you from the harm that can happen to you by the things that you involved yourself in the past? You wanted to be like, come on, be honest. With your hand of love upon my life, you impart a blessing to me. This is just too wonderful, deep and incomprehensible. Your understanding of me brings me wonder and strength. Verse 7, listen to this. Where could I go from your spirit? Where could I run and hide from your face? If I go out to heaven, you're there. 
If I go down into the realm of the dead, you're there too. If I fly with wings into the shining dawn, you're there. If I fly into the radiant sunset, you're there waiting. He's there. He's here. He's always around. He's not going anywhere. You're not chasing him away. You're not doing anything that's going to stop him from loving you and from actively pursuing you on a regular basis. He is boundless. His love knows no limits. His mercies are new every morning. His compassion fuels his actions. That's what I want to concentrate on. Think about that. It is the compassion of God that fuels him into action. It is the compassion that he had for you on your life that caused him to take the action steps he needed to take to affect your life in the way that he desired to. Amen? God is not passive. I don't know if you're one of these people that entertain this theory. There's a theory that's called the clockmaker God theory. The belief that God created everything, so it doesn't deny God's existence, it doesn't deny God as creator, but it, it puts God in this, in this picture that he set everything into motion and then walked away. That's not our God. That's not our God. Our God is actively at work in our lives, every single one of us, every single day, every second of the day, even in the times when we're not even aware of his presence and things like that's when he's working the most. He sees your life and wants to step into it. Basically, what he wants to do, bottom line is this. He wants to take your mess and make it into a masterpiece. And he's so good at doing that. And that is a result of love manifesting through compassion. Just listen to this statement. I know you're going to recognize this right away. You can probably quote exactly where it appears in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That is a compassion statement. What is a compassion? What do you mean, Pastor? Compassion? No, it's a, it's a statement of compassion. You want to know why? Because he didn't have to give his only begotten son. He did because he saw the condition of our lives. He saw the condition of this creation that he placed on this earth and, and where we had gone to and the depths that we had denigrated to. And he decided, I'm going to do something about it. I'm not just going to spectate. I'm not just going to watch. I'm not just going to say, wow, what a shame. I had such big plans for them. No. He's actively involved in your life and my life, and that's how he manifests his compassion. All throughout the word of God, we see the boundless love of God manifesting through compassion. What is compassion? Compassion is sympathetic pity and concern for the sufferings or the misfortunes of others. Compassion means simply this. Someone sees a tragedy and does something about it. Think about it again. Compassion is someone who sees a tragedy and is not content just to be a witness to it, but must get involved to relieve that situation. Think about it this way. Pity. We think sometimes we think pity and compassion are interchangeable. They're not. Pity spectates. Pity looks at a situation, observes a situation, comes away like, that poor person, that poor family, that poor guy, that poor woman, that poor kid, and just walks away. Compassion observes the true condition of the situation, but then says this, I can't leave this this way. I've got to get in the pit with them. I've got to get down that hole with them. I've got to get in there to do what reason, just stay there. Pity gets in the hole and goes, this is terrible, isn't it? It's just a horrible situation. Don't know what you're going to do. See you later. Compassion says, come on. Put your foot on here. Let's get out of this pit together. Let's walk through this together. Let's see change together. Let's turn this situation around together. Pity is a spectator. Compassion is a participant. Are you hearing me, church? All throughout the Word of God, we see this constantly, this, this 
manifestation, this expression of boundless love, manifesting and compassion. Remember that one of the names of God that's revealed to us, by which he reveals himself, is Emmanuel, God with us. Only a God that is committed to walk through life with us can ever express compassion on those he created. Why? Because he knows what it's like to walk on this planet. Do we grasp that? Do we realize that? Do we honestly believe that? Do we believe that when we see a promise in the word of God where God says, I know what you're going through. I know the feelings of hurt. I know your frailties. I know your weaknesses. The Bible tells us that we don't have a God who's unaware of these things. Our God is very much aware of the struggles of life. Jesus on this earth, the manifestation of God the Father in the flesh came to this earth and he endured everything that you and I endure. He had to deal with all of the pressures of life that you and I have to deal with. He had to deal with all the emotions that you and I have to deal with, the things that come and try to just batter us and try to seize our hearts with fear. He had to endure the same things. Yet, he came out of every single one of those situations victorious. The emotions didn't win. The fear didn't win. Think about that. Emmanuel, God with us. Now, I want to bring an illustration to you. Maybe this will help you to understand a little bit better. We're talking now about compassion as the expression of God's limitless, boundless love. You remember the story of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve sinned. And when Adam and Eve sinned and they turned against God, the enemy of our souls was overjoyed. Overjoyed. He loved it. This was his plan. Understand the mind of the enemy. Of the enemy. Listen, this was his plan. He figured... If he could get Adam and Eve to do the same thing that he did to God, which is what? Rebel against God, turn away from God. He figured that God would do to Adam and Eve what God had done to him. But boy, was he surprised. I would have loved to have seen the look on his face when God did not reject Adam and Eve, when God did not, did not strike down Adam and Eve, when God did not have the ground open up and swallow them. You see, what happened to Satan was this. When he rebelled against God, Jesus tells us later in the Gospels, he's talking to the disciples, he says, I saw Satan cast out of heaven like lightning. Let me ask you a question. How long does it take lightning to get from the sky to the earth? Split seconds. That's how much God put up with the devil's aggravation. You're out of here. Boom. So the devil thought, I'm going to get them to do the same thing, and he will do the same thing to them that he did to me. And the shock of his life is what he experienced. Because what happened? God surprised Satan by showing compassion, covering their sin and their shame. Now, they still endured the consequences because remember, God's, God's word can't be broken. God said, when you eat of that tree, you're going to put the process of death into motion. And they did, but he was with them and he walked them through it and he covered their shame and he covered their sin. You remember the story? It says that he took animal skins. Obviously, where did these animal skins come from? From animals. Animals were slain. They needed to learn the lesson that when you sin, something's got to die to take your place. Blood has to be shed. And I believe with all my heart, and I've said this many times in the past, and I'll continue saying it because I believe this, knowing the nature and the character of God. When those skins were removed from those animals, I guarantee you, they were placed on Adam and Eve with all the blood and all the gore and all the smell of the freshness of that death. Why? They needed to learn the life lesson. Sin brings death. And so imagine Satan, Lucifer, expecting complete annihilation of mankind 
only to find a God who was compassionate. Now, now mind you, you gotta understand the difference here. Angels, whether they're good angels, bad angels, whatever, they cannot experience redemption. When Lucifer fell from heaven, the Bible tells us he took one-third of the angels with him. Those one-third of the angels, including Lucifer, can never go back to God and say, we're sorry, we sinned against you, we, we, we're sorry, please forgive us. There's no hope of redemption. Redemption has been reserved for mankind. That makes us special, man. That makes us special. And so, as God surprised Satan by showing compassion, covering their sin and covering their shame, we realize this, that God remained committed to a solution, not to condemnation. I'm gonna say that again. Compassion always brings a solution. Compassion does not bring condemnation. It never does. Maybe now knowing this and kind of stirring these things up in our heart, maybe we'll, we'll hear this story a little bit different. It's a very, very familiar one for many of us. John chapter eight starts in verse one and says this, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman to him who had been caught in the act of adultery and they put her in the front of the crowd. So we already can see the motivation of these people's hearts. We can already see these are wicked, evil individuals whose only intent is to embarrass this woman, to cause her shame, to destroy her reputation, to get her to the place where she would never again be seen in public. That is not compassion. And Jesus is picking up on all this. And what do they do? They bring her right in front of this crowd. Now, mind you, get yourself in that place. Put yourself in that, in that, in that scenario right now. Okay, because many of us, because of movies that we've seen, we think it was Jesus is just wandering around one day and they happen to bring this woman in, throw her at his feet, and it's just him, the woman, and about a half a dozen of these religious leaders. No, the Bible tells us very clearly here, there's an entire crowd that are watching. And they did this intentionally in front of the crowd to trap Jesus to say the wrong thing in front of this crowd. Now, mind you, this crowd, we can be almost certain that the majority of this crowd, if not every one of them, were Jewish. And they knew what was about to take place according to the law of Moses. According to the law of Moses, you're caught in the act of adultery, you are brought before the people or brought to the city gates and stoned to death. They understand what's about to take place. They're in for a surprise, just like Lucifer was. Verse four, teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her, what do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. Look at verse seven. Verse seven really tells you these people's agenda, their motive, the hardness of their heart. They weren't satisfied. And it says they kept demanding an answer. Could you imagine the nerve, the audacity? This is God in the flesh, the creator of the universe. And it says they kept demanding an answer. Thank God I'm not Jesus. If I was Jesus and I was on the scene, I would have went, uh, excuse me? Do you know who you're talking to? But we know he doesn't handle himself that way. All right. But let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. 
Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. Verse 9. Verse 9 always gets me. And when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. So this crowd's still there. They've watched this whole scenario played out. They've watched the horrible hardness of heart from these religious leaders, their rudeness, their meanness, their mean-spiritedness. They've watched this. They're watching this whole thing unfold. And man, so Jesus is left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. He didn't endorse her sin. He didn't condone her sin. He pardoned her from that sin and gives her advice for the future. Go and sin no more. Don't, I could just see the look on his face. Honey, don't put yourself in this position again. You're more valuable than this. You're worth more than this. I have better plans for you than this. Get up, go home, change your life. Don't ever put yourself in this position again. Nothing is worth putting yourself in this position of shame again. That's compassion. The religious leaders were using this woman to make a point against Jesus. I want to say that again because I want to make a very strong point here. I pray that if you're one of these people, you correct it. If you're not and you've got one of these in your lives, you'll recognize it. The leaders were using the woman to make their point against Jesus. And I'm telling you, Learn this life lesson if you haven't yet. The most saddest, miserable people that you're ever going to come in contact with, Christians, non-Christians, are those who are wasting their lives trying to prove a point that nobody cares about and doesn't affect anybody in a positive way. Recognize those people. If you're that way, change, change, change. Make a commitment to change. Amen? They didn't care about this woman. And, and uh, before I get into this part, I want to just, I got to make this kind of statement here. What I'm about to say, please do not walk out of this church today and say, oh, the pastor endorsed adultery from the pulpit. That's the furthest thing from the truth. But listen to me. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, I think I'm going to commit adultery today. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, you know what, I think I'm going to get addicted to heroin today. You know what, I, I, I think, I think, I'm going to just get flat out drunk and become an alcoholic for the rest of my life. Nobody wakes up one day and says, I'm just going to throw myself into a life of degeneracy and filth. Nobody does it. There's always a progression and there's always a backstory. Where these, these religious leaders who are supposed to be raised up by God to help people, did they once go and find out what would lead this woman to put herself in this position? What is going on at home? What kind of upbringing did she have? What type of childhood did she have? What type of marriage has she been in? Obviously, she's married. She's committing adultery. Nobody asked this question. How did this woman get to this point? Nobody asked the question. Because you see, today, we find out somebody committed adultery. Oh, well, you know, just another one. Back then, this woman knew. She's taking her life into her hands. Could you imagine... Being so desperate for affection, so desperate for love, so desperate for somebody to hold on to that you're willing to put your life in your hands knowing if you get caught, this is exactly the nightmare that's going to unfold. 
Nobody's asking this question, why? They didn't care. They had no compassion for this woman. Again, nobody's endorsing her conduct. Jesus didn't endorse her conduct. But obviously, he was willing to extend grace. He was willing to extend mercy. He was willing to extend compassion. Remember, he says to her, go and sin no more. In other words, let's get out of this hole together. Let's get out of this pit together. Let's get out of this circumstance together. Let's, let's do something together that's gonna stop you from ever taking this action again. Doesn't endorse it. He calls it what it is, it's sin. But he understands our frailties and understands our weaknesses and understands how your emotions can trick you. Should we be any different? They show no compassion. You wanna know why? Because that's how users operate. Have you ever had a user in your life? Have you ever had people, have you ever been a user? No, don't raise your hand. That's how users operate. Users don't care about you. They care about using you to gratify themselves, using you to get what they need, using you to make a point. It's, it's, it's just, it's sad. It really is. And you wanna know something? We just saw the same thing happen just last week on an international level. We saw the same thing unfold in Gaza. Hamas used the people that are under their sway to get publicity all over the world. None of them cared about the fact that they were refugees. None of the Arab nations cared about the refugees. No, what kind of a person, what kind of heart does an individual have that you would, you would force an entire family with little children to go up to a border to cause, to incite violence, knowing they're gonna get killed, they're gonna get mowed down? What kind of individuals? That's the same spirit that operated in those, those religious leaders. They didn't care about her. All they cared about was putting Jesus in a, in a position that would make him look silly. And that's exactly what you saw took place. I had a conversation with somebody last week who I know is Jewish, and I said, isn't this amazing what happened in Jerusalem? Well, I don't know. Look at all those people that got killed, and I don't know. I don't agree with this. Great guy. I said, whoa, 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 calm down. I said, obviously, you've been watching the news. But did you find out the rest of the story? Did you find out that Hamas and all the powers behind it incited 10,000 people to go and march to a border let me ask you a question. If 10,000 people marched to our border, do you think our government would take any action? Of course. Of course. So who's to blame? The poor people that are just, just, just like sheep being, being led to the slaughter or the people behind it? I say the people behind it. And the sad fact is this. There wouldn't be any refugees if the Arab nations around Israel 70 years ago did not force them to leave Israel. Many of them would have stayed, and some did. Many of them would have stayed and would have become part of that new society and would have prospered together with the rest of Israel. But they formed this. They formulated it. They forced it. They developed this mindset, you need to get out. They're going to kill you. They're going to slaughter you. They're going to... None of that was true. There would never be a refugee crisis if it was for people that had compassion on those individuals. They have no compassion. All they do is use them for publicity. Start wising up, church. Open your eyes. Thousands of people have been abused, suffering at the hands of those who have no compassion. Now let's get back to Jesus. In the case of Jesus with sinners, Jesus broke the rules. He broke the rules. Everybody in that crowd saw that day he broke the rules. But let me tell you something. I'll guarantee you that every person in that crowd that ever committed adultery said this, I like this guy. <laughs> I like this guy. 
eye. They had, they had not seen that kind of compassion in their religious leaders. They saw abusers. They saw users. That's what they saw. And this is a model that you and I are supposed to set as an example. Jesus broke the rules, and later on, James wrote in James, what we call James chapter 2, verse 13. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over justice, over judgment, excuse me. This is the example that's set for us, the way we're supposed to carry ourselves. The way we're supposed to carry Jesus to the lost, to the hurt, to the wounded, even in the church. We're supposed to carry. But there's too many people that are way too busy criticizing, judging others either because of pride, of jealousy, or both. And that compassion that flowed from God through Jesus and still flows from God through Jesus to us. It has no boundaries, no obstacles, no limits. And it's got to flow through those who have pure hearts and right motives, God-centered agendas. It's not the way God is with the lost. It's not the way God is with those struggling with sin. Let me, get, let me just give you this example. I used this in the last service. Let me, let me just, just for, for just illustration's sake. If we had somebody walk through those doors in this next minute, totally wiped out drunk, drunk, had vomited all over themselves, stumbling, they come down to the front, there'd be a whole bunch of you that would come around that person's Jesus loves you, brother. Jesus is here for you. Jesus wouldn't want you living like this. He's got better plans for you. He wants you to take care of your health better. And you would, you would, you would explain the plan of salvation. That person would receive Christ, and, and you'd all go home and put on Facebook, wow, what an awesome day today. This drunk walked into church, and you know, we all got around him, and we, we made sure that he got born again and got saved and all that stuff. You'd have complete compassion over that person. How would you feel about them three months later after they've been coming to church for three months and they walk in this place drunk? We'd never say it, but on the inside we'd be going, what's the matter with this guy? What's wrong with him? Why can't he get his act together? Doesn't he realize he should never come to church like that? What's the matter with this guy? Isn't the church gonna do anything about this? Isn't the pastor gonna say anything to this guy? Don't look at me like that because you know what I'm saying is true. And sometimes we're guilty of having more compassion for the lost than we do for those among us that still struggle. What is that all about? What are we, we, once, once we're marked and we're in, now, now the standard is higher? I don't know about you, but I need Jesus to be my savior every day, not just the day I first got born again. And you know the truth is for you. That's not the way God handles things. He's not that way with the lost. He's not that way with those struggling with sin. Listen, I'm gonna throw something at you now. It might shake some of you. He's not even that way with those outside the faith. You were once outside the faith. I'm going to throw some scriptures at you. You're going to go, oh, I've got to go home and check that, make sure that's in there. <laughs> Exodus chapter 22, verse 21. I'm talking about God's position towards those outside of this faith. You must not mistreat or oppress foreigners in any way. Remember, you yourselves were once foreigners in the land of Egypt. He's saying to them, what is wrong with you? How could you treat somebody the same way that you were treated in Egypt? You cried out to me and I came and rescued you and now you're gonna do the same thing to others that was done to you? Do you forget when you were outside of this covenant? Do you forget when you, when you fulfilled Ephesians chapter two, you were without God and without hope in this world? Did you forget that? Let me give you another one, Leviticus chapter 19. This is God's heart towards the foreigner, towards those that may not look like us, talk like us act like us. 
When you harvest the crops of your land, do not harvest the grain along with the, uh, the edges of your fields. Do not pick up what the harvest is. In other words, don't be so stinking, stingy, and greedy that you've got to grab everything for yourself. In the same way with your grape crop, do not strip every last bunch of grapes from the vines. Do not pick up the grapes that fall to the ground. Leave them for the who? Come on, guys, are you reading? Leave them for the who? The poor and the foreigners living where? Among you. And then he adds, in case you think this is wrong, I am the Lord your God. Then he skipped down to verse 33 in that same chapter. Do not take advantage of foreigners who live among you in the land. Treat them like native-born Israelites and love them as you love yourself. I'm gonna get in so much trouble today. Uh, Don't say in your heart, let's go get a couple of fill-in-the-blanks because they'll work for half price. Treat them like native-born Israelites. Love them as you love yourself. Remember that you were once foreigners living in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. God expected the Israelites to have compassion on those who were foreigners because they knew what it was like to be abused. They knew what it was like to suffer at the hands of brutal oppressors. And let's be truthful about it. We can divide the entire world into two groups of people. Not, oh yeah, I know, the saved and the unsaved. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about Christian and non-Christian. I'm talking about the selfish and the compassionate. The entire world is split along those lines. And every single one of us in this room know an individual that doesn't want to come to church, doesn't want to read the Bible, doesn't want, really want anything to do with Jesus. They're okay that you're involved with him, but, and they're the most generous, compassionate, welcoming, hospitable people way more than some of us that are sitting in this room today. What do you want to do with that one? It shouldn't be this way. It shouldn't be this way. Why? Because we have experienced the generous, boundless, relentless, limitless love of God. And that's what took us out of the kingdom of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his dear son. And how could we, who've experienced such goodness, just like the Israelites, we spiritually were taken out of Egypt, taken out from under the oppression of Satan, brought into this kingdom of love and kingdom of light and kingdom of grace and righteousness and all of that. How can we then just bottle that up for us and say, well, I got mine, you're gonna have to get yours. How does that honor? I even have to honestly ask myself the question, has my heart really been impacted by the love of God? Because the natural thing would would, would be Every seed reproduces after its own kind. If that seed of love has infected my heart, how can it not then reproduce in such a way that it should affect everyone around me? But they're not like us. They don't talk like us. They don't act like us. They don't dress like us. They have different customs than we have. That's exactly what the Egyptians said about the Israelites. To the point where they said, we don't want them around us. They smell because they take care of sheep. Let's put them in the northern part of Egypt where none of us go. I pray that God reignites our hearts again so that we would overflow with his love. I don't mean that in a cliche-ish way. I mean that actual reigniting of the love of God in our hearts that we would stop looking at the cover and allow God to touch people's lives through us. Now I'm setting you up because this isn't the real message. Next week, I want you back here and I want you to bring somebody. 
because this message has got to change the way people's hearts are. And this message has got to change the way people in our communities are conducting themselves right now. Because next week, I'm going to address the demonic nature of racism, discrimination, and prejudice. And it is alive and well in our communities. And it's got to die. Are you hearing me? Thank you so much for joining us today. We're always encouraged to know God is working through new beginnings to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please let us know. Send us an email at mystory at newbeginningsnj.org. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today.